that, baby! But here, I've met a lot of people and I've played some too. And there's one thing I know, people like to talk. <laughs> it's the Spudcast. That's where you at. Hey, where you at, baby? How y'all making this evening? Thanks for joining me here on the Spudcast podcast. Well, I'm talking out my ask with Leo Honeycutt. Old friend of mine, uh, TV guy, uh, journalist guy, and he's also Edwin Edwards' biographer. And if you haven't heard, Edwin Edwards passed away just a, a few, really about a month shy of his 94th birthday. Uh, but we're going to talk with uh, Leo about uh, Edwin and share some stories and share a few things that you didn't know. So Leo Honeycutt here on the Spudcast right after this. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound too good. You better start filling sandbags. Oh, wait, you don't have to do that anymore because you have the home team advantage. You called Home Team Elevation at 504-301-1222, and you got your home lifted above the flood. No more worries for you. What about your mama's house or your uncles or your brothers? Home Team is ready to lift their spirits even higher than your home. Get the Home Team advantage by calling 504-301-1222 or go to hometeamelevation.com. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? The next time you have to travel, take along a couple of pounds of Parish coffee, and you won't be missing New Orleans for long. Brewed right here in the land of coffee lovers, Parish coffee has the taste you're looking for. From dark roast to coffee and chicory to flavored coffees like Bananas Foster or Bourbon Pecan, French Vanilla or King Cake, or you name it, Parish coffee has a flavor just right for you. Look for the bright purple bag in the coffee aisle of your favorite market. Or order it online, have it sent right to your door. What a perfect gift for any coffee aficionado. Sip the soul of New Orleans in every cup of parish coffee. It's summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime, and that means hurricanes and heat. So how are you going to handle it this year? How about with a brand new whole house generator and an upgraded AC system from Serentine Refrigeration? My power went out during Hurricane Zeta for 10 whole seconds. Then my Serentine service generator kicked in. We were even able to run extension cords to the neighbor. And Serentine will keep your AC running smooth and cool even in the dead of August. Call Serentine today, 504-833-8831. 833-8831, tell them Spud sent you. And we're talking to my friend here, Leo Honeycutt, who, uh, wow, you're the only person I know who has had a more varied career than me, Leo. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I couldn't think and couldn't list all the things that you've done, and I and I'd show you the list, and it's probably only ten percent complete. So. Uh, well. Well, but I mean, but but Spud, we always a person that uh, is always uh, always looking for new spontaneous things, and at that level, really, Edward Edwards was too. He was always spontaneous with the public and with the press, but he was one of those people that was always looking for new innovative ideas. And it's funny, I did a story some years ago with a guy who was. Uh, close to the Kennedy White House, who used to have regular um, uh, meetings with John Kennedy in the White House. Uh, and he said that at, at the end of each one of those meetings, about every week or two at the end, Kennedy would always say, before you leave, tell me what's new, what's fresh, what's the up and coming thing, what's on the horizon. And you know what? I didn't think about that until years later, but that's the way Edmund Edwards was. He was always thinking about something new and innovative. Mm-hmm. And so when I when you just said that about you know we're living these varied careers and have it's it's like we really want to know we just really want um, 
we really want to be part and involved in what life is about. And so everything that's fresh and new and, you know, new, exciting frontiers are always going to appeal to us. Well, it's also you, you need to stay. And that's what Edwin was. And that's what John Kennedy was. And that's what any real astute politician uh, is. It's somebody who needs to stay in front of the trend instead of playing catch up. Right. And, you know, and, and me, I got caught short with this technology stuff, you know, playing catch up. I can't type, you know, my wife's always bitching at me because it takes me so long to answer a text. I'm going, I can't type and I definitely can't type with one thumb. So and then my thumbs are real big. So I'm always misspelling stuff or the the thing is is whatever, misreading what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, it takes me a long time to answer a text. Uh, but let's stop well, and back but, up but, just, a, just a second. I, I mean, the reason I asked Leo to join me is because he was uh, Governor Edwards' biographer. If you have not read the biography, you will be astounded at all the stuff that you didn't know about Edwin Edwards. You'd be more astounded to go. He was almost president instead of Jimmy Carter. And that gigantic book, uh, Leo, is what, a third they made you cut two thirds of it out because it was so big. It's it's like this. yeah, yeah. It, it, the the finished product comes out of I think six hundred twenty one pages, but I had written eighteen hundred pages for three thousand footnotes, and at the end of all that, I mean that was after three years of work, and at the end of all of it, I told the governor, I said, you know, even you're not going to read a book this big about you. So, you know, and he, he laughed. He said, you're probably right. So uh, we thought about splitting it between two volumes. And I said, you know, people aren't going to buy a two-volume set on Edwin Edwards. So uh, so we wound up. I just had to spend another two years chopping the thing down by, you know, 1,200 pages. Well, I think you should go back. I, I know you didn't throw them away. But frankly. Yeah, just, I did. You, no, no, you didn't. I'm, yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should do a three-volume set. I think you should. I mean, uh, yeah, are people going to go out and buy it? Probably not, but libraries would, especially university libraries are putting it online because, you know, you're talking about, I mean, okay, so I played Huey Long for 30 years. And, and I read, wonderful, oh, wonderful. I read T. Harry Williams' book. T. Harry Williams' book is, uh, it was his doctoral dissertation, and it is filled with fascinating and funny stories about Huey Long. But it's a doctoral dissertation, and it reads that way, you know. You got to really be looking beyond the beyond the words to, you know, see. And I was, and I studied long. I studied his his mannerisms and his speech patterns and some of the stuff he did. And and so when I was reading that book, I was able to look beyond the page and see him actually saying these words and things like that. Whereas your book about Edwin is it's it's a book. I mean, it it's not a dissertation. It's it's as alive as Edwin was. So it's a much easier read. But, yeah, this is a four-term governor. He went to jail. Uh, all the stuff that he did before he was elected, all the stuff that happened while he was elected, the fact that, that he almost beat Jimmy Carter for the Democratic nomination, there are so many things. I mean, Huey Long, elected governor in 28, elected senator in 30, assassinated in, in 35. I mean, all that stuff he did was in seven years. I mean, he was a railroad commissioner in 1918. But all that stuff was there. I mean, if 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 he had lived as long as Edwin Edwards and had been that astute, the volumes written about him would be just in, incredible. So that and, being and said, he would have been president too at some oh, point. He he was going. I think what his plans were, quite frankly, was he was going to run against he was going to run against uh, Roosevelt, 
and split the vote and a, and a Republican would have stepped in and then he'd have come back in 1940 and just beat, beat a Republican like a, like a yep. new driveway or a rented mule or something. But yep. anyway, so all that being said, let's get back to Governor Edwin Edwards. He just passed away, 93 years old. He's freely admitted he's been living on borrowed time for the last 20 years. My parents died at 70. So as far as I, I always look at it on my personal level, go, oh, they died at what, 75? Well, they were five years to the good. You know, they did five more. So he did 23 years. I mean, 93, he did pretty good. That's pretty well, good. Well, and, and, and he was less than a month away from being 94. So let's just say he was 94. What the hell? Yeah, What's a month? Right. What's a month right. in 93 years? So he was 94 when he died. You know? Well, and he told me last Monday a week ago, uh, he said, I want you to go down to, uh, and he named a hotel in Baton Rouge, and he said, I want you to book their ballroom for my 95th birthday. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> and that was that was last Monday, and we were trying to get him out of the bed. I happened to be there, you know, my, that Monday was uh, the 4th of July holiday, and so I was down there, uh, you know, trying to spend some time with him, and he was just as lucid as he could be. He was just like the old Edward Edwards. Now his body had played out. Yeah. He was his his legs had pretty much atrophied. He had no muscle mass left. He was in a wheelchair, but we were trying to get him out of the bed. And the hospice nurse was pulling on one side, and uh, Trina was on the other. And I was in the front trying to. And he had a really strong grip. And so as we were pulling him out, he he pulled my arm suddenly, and he looked at me, and and he said, "You know, I'm running again, don't you?" <laughs> and I said, "What?" And he said, "I'm running for the bathroom, so get the hell out of the way." <laughs> See, he said that just to see that look on your face, man. <laughs> That's it. That is exactly it. He wanted that reaction. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he enjoyed that. He enjoy, he certainly enjoyed people. I mean, you have to really enjoy people to be a politician. And, I mean, from all uh, <clears throat> my very few, really, uh, deals with him, uh, the first time I ever met him, I was 14 years old, and I was playing in the orchestra for the premiere inaugural performance of the Gonzales Little Theater. And uh, my brother Martin was in the, in, the, in the orchestra too. It was a funny thing happened on the way to the farm. And he came to open at night. And he came over to meet the band before the show started. And my brother, he nudged me, he goes, watch this, watch this. And Edwin came in, he's going, hi, how y'all doing? And, he, and my brother stood up and said, yeah, uh, Alice Myers. Uh, my mom, Alice Myers, told me to tell you, hey. And without missing a beat, he went, I didn't know she was old enough to have a big boy like you. <laughs> He didn't know he didn't know my mother from Adam. But I'll tell you this. Many, many years later, I'm doing the Kingfish uh at the old state capitol in the uh in the theater they have over there, which was the House Chambers. And he came and I got to speak with him briefly afterwards. And I told him that story. And he didn't necessarily he did not remember specifically that story of meeting us, but he remembered going to the play. He remembered that evening, and he told me, you know, things to, for me to know. Yeah, he remembered it, you know. So wow. that's how sharp his mind was. And I'm, I'm assuming from your conversations, and uh, I'm running for the bathroom, I'm assuming his mind was just that sharp all the way to the very end. It was it was very sharp right up to the end. Now, the last couple of days, um, uh, you know, I'm working in Mississippi now. So when I came back on Friday, I went straight back down to the house because I talked to uh, Trina, and she said, he seems to be not rallying like he has in the past. So I went down there to see, and and it's crazy because when I got there, he was uh, it was like Friday at late Friday afternoon, Friday night, and uh, he said, um, I mean, when I walked in, 
course, there was always people at the house. But when I walked in, I thought, mm, you know, his color didn't look good. And I thought, this is it. And within an hour, somehow he had rallied. In an hour, he was back to himself. And it was, and he was, he was whispering, wasn't talking, you know, loud. But, and I walked over to him and I said, hey, let's go to Ruth's Chris. And he sort of perked up and I said, hey, and I'm buying. And boy, he, <laughs> he, he just, he just came back. I thought, I thought he was going to get out of the bed right at that moment. And, um, and so I thought, well, he's he's back. You know, he is going to rally. He is going to come back. And and then Saturday and Sunday, then things began to you know to yeah. darken, and he didn't come back. And I went down uh, as soon as I talked to Trina on Saturday, late Saturday afternoon, and didn't leave until I don't know nine o'clock last night. So it was yeah. it was a marathon day yesterday for sure. I bet it was. All right, I'm gonna have to take a break, but. Uh... So we don't talk about this in the next segment. Exactly what did he die of? Well, it was a respiratory problem. He had some, uh, it really hurt him in the right lung. And he went, let's see, the Saturday before. I mean, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it was a Sunday. The Sunday before last Monday. Uh, so it was the 4th of July. And so he had to take an ambulance ride over to St. Elizabeth's. And they did x-rays and CAT scans. And, um, and they said they couldn't find anything. So, you know, go figure. I don't, I don't know what it was, and, but I do know that at the very end, he had such trouble breathing. He had so much fluid on his lungs. Mm-hmm. And um, so, really, he died essentially of pneumonia. All right. Well, we're talking to Leo Honeycutt, uh, who was the biographer of uh, Governor Edwin Edwards, who just passed. You all know that. And uh, Leo himself has a storied career from... Hell, I first met you when you was on WBRZ, so, you know, you've, you've come a long way, baby. And we're going to come a long way. We'll come back right after this here on the Spudcast Podcast, talking out my ask with Leo Honeycutt. Hey, guess what? The pandemic's finally winding down. Looks like you might get to go on a little vacay, but where are you going to go? I got an idea. Go fishing. Get yourself a licensed and insured fishing guide at lasaltwater.com. They got a guide for everything and every place. Inshore fishing, offshore fishing, fly fishing, kayak fishing, bow fishing, you name it fishing. At lasaltwater.com, there's pictures and videos of all the happy fishermen and women and kids. And don't be the one that got away. Go to lasaltwater.com and book your charter today. Well, it finally looks like we're going to be spared the COVID lockdown this summer. Of course, there's other medical needs besides the big cootie sprains, breaks, stitches, pink eye, bug bites, sunburn. Some of these can be diagnosed and treated over the phone with telemed. But whatever your malady, Rapid Urgent Care is open 365, even on holidays, ready to treat you quickly and professionally. Whether you're on the North Shore or the South Shore, summertime bobos don't stand a chance at Rapid Urgent Care. Just go to rapidurgentcare.com for the address and number of the clinic nearest you. And we're back talking to Leo Honeycutt here on the Spudcast, uh, the biographer and and very good friend of uh, Governor Edwin Edwards, who has just passed four term, the only four term governor of the state. Uh, uh, got a lot of history. This guy does. So I don't know how much Leo can tell us in the next 15, 12 <laughs> minutes or so. But uh, why don't you pick us some highlights, man, and tell me if people should know some things about Edwin Edwards, what do you want them to be? Well, uh, you know, one thing you just mentioned, the fact that he was the Louisiana's only four-term governor, which really only puts him in a group of 11 people, only 11 men in the entirety of the United States history, 250 years, uh, had, had four terms as governor of any state. 
So that alone sets him apart, sets him aside. But uh, but uh, he did so many wonderful things. I know a lot of people and critics want to remember all the bad things with the conviction and the trial and the jail time. And and let me let me stop and just say, I still don't know. And I've sta- I've talked to lawyers. I still don't understand how he got convicted with only eleven people on a jury. I don't get that. You know. And now they 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 changed that, but. The Supreme Court did, but that's that was not federal law. But still, how does he get convicted with 11 people? Why he didn't get a new trial, it's just beyond me. Well, that's because he was it was a hung jury, and he was going to have to have a new trial. But Judge Polozola exercised his authority, I think, beyond the bounds of the Constitution, and he's the one who charged the 11 to render the verdict. And, and that was compounded by the fact and I would hope that people, if they're really interested in it, would read the book and read that part about the trial. Um, but it was compounded by the fact that Jim Letton's personal notes got into the jury room, which is a clear violation. Uh, but it did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so the, the result is the result. It took them over two weeks, almost three weeks, and the uh, jury could not render a verdict. But Judge Polozola shut it down for three days and did individual uh, interviews with the jurors, which I've never heard of before. I mean, Polozola literally ran everybody out of the jury out of the uh, room out of the courtroom and locked the doors behind the press and everybody and so they all had to be pushed out and then come back for three days so which is unprecedented it's unheard of and so when but he kicked off juror 68 and charged the 11 and uh uh jim Lenton's actually the person who solicited the, the judge and said look Maybe it's just that they have so much material to go over, they're confused by it. So why don't we give them all their own personal transcripts, copies of their personal transcripts? And Polozola even said, um, well, they have to be pristine. He used that word. They have to be pristine. There can't be anything on them. It just has to be copies of the transcript for all the individual jurors. So they gave it to them. And sometime that day when they had been dropped in the jury room, the jury foreman called up the marshal, calling the marshal that I'm not sure we're supposed to have this. And it turned out to be Jim Letton's personal copy of the transcripts. And he had things highlighted, dog ear, he had notes all over him, you know, uh, mm. guilty as hell, all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, here's the bottom line. Uh, the, the, they couldn't render 90-something verdicts in about three weeks and after they had um, the 11 were charged to go back in and they, after they had Letton's notes they rendered all 90 verdicts in 24 hours okay I yeah I, I, and that don't make it any and look Jim Letton's a friend of mine uh, but I I don't I don't I'm, I wouldn't buy in this 11 person jury because it makes you go look let me put it like this if Edwin Edwards can get railroaded uh, by 11 people and go to jail, the rest of us ain't got a chance. So, well, right. But think think about it, Spud, though. Uh, if you're on that jury and you've been in that jury room sequestered for five months, I mean, people were screaming to get off. They, had, they didn't see their families. They were out of their jobs. They had health issues. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to get away from it. And they said five months. And so. so, so believe me, they were looking for an out. They wanted to get out of there. Whatever it took, uh, you know, if, if it was going to be go ahead and, okay, he's guilty, he's guilty, let's go home. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's, what, that's, the, that's what I asked for. <laughs> you don't like to hear all these answers. All right, let's get to the happy stuff. Let me t- tell me about uh, how he almost became president. Well, you 
know, in 1974, he did something that was unprecedented, which was uh, sort of the benchmark of his whole time. But, um, but what it was was um, he went up against big oil and he said, you know, it's time for you guys to stop just paying 25 cents a barrel uh, severance to the state. And so he saw that with the Arab oil embargo of 1973 that OPEC was going to take over the production and pricing of oil. They were going to jack up the price and it was going to skyrocket. And he was right about that. He was very clairvoyant when it came to that. And so in 74, he was able to get the severance tax from 25 cents a barrel to 12.5% of value. Big, big difference. Mm -hmm. And almost immediately, Louisiana's coffers uh, took a deficit position that had been, frankly, left over by John McKithen and turned it into an $88 million surplus. I mean, within like the first two quarters of 1974. And when that happened, uh, Louisiana by 1979 became the most cash-rich state in the nation at a time when New York City was going bankrupt. So when when Ted Kennedy saw what he had done with Louisiana's fiscal condition, uh, he challenged – and this is not the reason why Ted Kennedy challenged Jimmy Carter. He was going to do that on his own. Yeah. And so Kennedy came in, and he was, he was going to challenge Carter and did challenge him for the Democratic nomination. And he called up through Edmund Reggie. He called up uh, Edwin Edwards and said, if you can do if you can do the fiscal national debt, the fiscal condition of our country uh, with what you did in Louisiana, then I want you as a running mate in 1980. And uh, and Edward, of course, was, you know, all over it. But uh, anyway, the bottom line is, is he didn't get the nomination and Jimmy Carter did. And so the rest is history. Yeah. But that's how close he came to a national office. Astounding, and so and right where we're kind of right back where we were back then. Uh, if do you? I mean, what would I mean, uh, Edwin Edwards as a as a as a the vice president? That would have been like a major shot in the arm. I mean, when uh, when Livingston became the speaker of the house and then had to leave because of some you know his uh, whatever scandal that he had. Uh, I mean, that was a big shot in the arm for for Louisiana. We're still considered a redheaded stepchild. We're at the bottom of the Mississippi River. Uh, everybody dumps their trash on us. We always have that big, that big uh, bloom off the river, and yet this port of Louisiana is the largest port in the world. I mean, why, you know, why are we always considered the the redheaded stepchild when we had somebody like Edwin Edwards in in that thing? Or is it because since since he's gone, our hair's gotten a lot redder? I think that since he's gone, our head's gotten a lot redder, uh, redder because of all the other things that have happened, you know, the David Duke debacle and all that. Louisiana has had more than its fair share of um, problems that's happened to it. You know, Katrina hits and uh, New Orleans he almost sinks into the Gulf. And uh, then we had the BP oil spill. I mean, we have really run through a series of really, really bad, tragic things that have made the rest of the world think, you know, what is it about Louisiana? Uh, why, why do they keep being beset by all these tragedies? And I think all that sort of feeds into a narrative that maybe, you know, they're, they're, they're just they're just snake bit. And, you know, when you get that that reputation that you're snake bit, people don't necessarily want to associate with you. So I don't think I think that's part of the thing that feeds into um, why we don't see more economic development, more businesses that would come here. I mean, we're straddling the Mississippi River for crying out loud and have obviously since the beginning of time. And we have, as you say, the big ports, some of the biggest ports in the whole world. 
why don't we have more industry here that would employ more people? It's because I believe, because we really had pretty bad press for the last, you know, half century. And, you know, and when the it's press would go statement out. statement from somebody who comes from, from journalism. Well, uh, I know, but it is what it is. Well, and it is what it is, too. I mean, look, uh, lately the, the story of Disney wanting to build Disney World here and then the, the guys getting off the plane and politicians meeting them with their hands out so they just turned around and went to Florida and now they got that big boom over there. I mean, you know, I, I think we have some crooked politicians here. We got a reputation for that. I learned all that playing Earl Long, you know, so. Well, well, and let's put that into perspective, too. Uh, because a Disney decided to put that at Orlando, right in the in the path of what was then a Hurricane Alley. I mean, and, and so you know, so he leaves Louisiana where he had more of a protection, but he goes to Florida where they would get more hurricanes. So that doesn't make sense. But the second part of that is too is that Florida has actually jailed more public officials than any other state in the nation. Something like eight hundred and ninety people over the last twenty years. So, so it's not like Florida's pristine when it comes to politics. No, but they do seem to catch up with their officials and put them in the pokey. Whereas we got a lot of people going, how come that guy ain't in jail? You know, and then we do get a, a governor who goes to jail with an 11-member jury. So there you go. Anyway, <laughs> there, there you go. All right. So you know, it, it's inexplicable, Spud. It is. But you know what? Uh, we got crawfish. So there you go. I mean, I've lived up north, and it's like you can't get a decent meal. So that's why I'm back down here. Leo Honeycutt, well, are, what is your official time? I mean, you, you've been a, a spokesman for the governor. You, you've written his biography. You're obviously a, a close friend to his and the, and the family. Um, I'm, I'm almost, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if you had your own key to the back door. What, what give us, I mean, like, it, I'm out of time already, but is there memorial services? Are there places you can send cards? Or has all that stuff not been figured out yet? It really hasn't. We're still trying to hammer down some of the particulars today. Uh, we're probably going to have him lie in state at the state capitol rotunda through um, Saturday. And then Sunday, I've heard that we may have a service at the old state capitol, but I don't know that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, first off, the old state capitol wouldn't hold the number of people that would want to come to the surface. Well, it's going to be like Huey Long in, in the rotunda. You're just going to be you're going to come inside. You'll make a pass by. You might have a chance of saying "Our Father," and then boom, out the door you go. Because there's going to be a lot of people lined up for that. Right, and especially being on a Saturday when people could travel to Baton Rouge and do that. Yeah, and it will be a historic event. It's going to be the biggest event from that standpoint since Huey Long in 1935. It'll be big. Leo, I appreciate it. I'm so sorry for the loss of your friend. I mean, yeah, he was a polarizing figure, uh, but you can't doubt his love for Louisiana. And, uh, no, 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 you really can't. There were some quiet times on the way back from some book signings when he was usually very quiet. But one time he said, you know, I really got to thank you for, for putting all that my life into that book and spending the kind of time that you did to give me a fair shake. And uh, he said, I just want you to know I appreciate that. And that was the only time he ever really paid me a compliment. Hmm. I think he paid you a compliment by the uh, just by being in your company. Leo Honeycutt, yep. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be wrapping up this podcast right after this. Getting older and feeling your age? Low energy, no motivation, putting on the pounds? Maybe age isn't the culprit. Maybe the sad truth is you have low testosterone. 
Well, don't sit around and mope. Go to the Mope Clinic at the Men's Optimal Performance Enhancement Clinic. Chris Rue will do more than just fling a blue pill at you. With proper testing, diagnosis, and testosterone replacement therapy, you'll be on your way to becoming your old self again, or better yet, your new self again. Go to mopeclinic.com, M-O-P-E clinic.com, or call 504-322-3888 to start your journey to a better, stronger, healthier you. Are you ready to launch? The American Space Alliance wants to accelerate and support space exploration for the benefit of all Americans, and not just for national pride. You know how many products are created by and for NASA that we use every day? Scratch-resistant lenses, dust busters, LASIK eye surgery, solar cells, firefighting equipment, LEDs, insulin pumps. The list just keeps on growing, and it needs to keep on growing, because the next generation of space exploration has arrived and the American Space Alliance and NASA want you to be involved. You can follow ASA on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Go to exploreasa.org to find out more. Okay, talking to Leo Honeycutt. Interesting, great stories about Fast Eddie. Uh, thanks for joining me here on the Spudcast. Uh, you can hear this show on Red Circle, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Public Radio, Stitcher. You can hear on my Twitter page at SpudGotDat. And on my Facebook page, it's Spud's Friends and Fans, John McConnell and the Big TZ. Tomorrow, don't miss Mike Bradner's podcast that I do for him called uh, Tell Me What You Really Think. And also, uh, got a new guy out there, uh, Dr. Juliff. So he'll be coming up too. His show is called A Leg Up. So thanks for joining me here anyway. See you next week. Watch out for the crazies, but I'm a gone pecan. <laughs>